Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. Um, I know it has been kind of like four to five months. I haven't posted any kind of episode or discussion on cybersecurity or awareness. Um, I was looking for the right opportunity and then, you know, summer comes and we all enjoy summer. Um, I was teaching during the summer. So uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Um, so to get started to repeat, um, my name is Devi Shri. I am your podcast host. I am a also cybersecurity educator and assistant teaching professor at the University of Washington Tacoma campus. I teach information technology and various subjects in cybersecurity include I also do research in cybersecurity based on uh, different domain, social science, technology, combination, because this is the era of interdisciplinary research. Today, we have and we are honored to have a guest and uh, she is awesome. She is a powerhouse on herself. Um, I got to meet through our um, work at the University of Washington, our partnership, which we did in cybersecurity and interdisciplinary study work. We'll talk about that during um, this episode. Uh, and we are honored to have, and I'm really honored, I'm really inspired by her to getting to know um, Dr. Stephanie Swartz. Um, Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. If I mispronounced your last name, please forgive me. And uh, let's get started. And let's get started with your introduction is um, how, who are you and uh, what do you do currently? Well, first of all, thank you for that really warm introduction. And thank you so much for having me today. This is uh, quite an honor for me as well. And thank you for your interest in me and my work. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Stephanie Swartz. As you said, I, have, I was born in the United States. I grew up in New Jersey. And I um, have been teaching now for... I would say it's uh, almost, well, over 30 years, and uh, both in the United States and in Germany. Great. And uh, one, one of the things is that any type of like, you know, praise I do, it's not enough. Um, so how did you, so what do we teach in Germany over 30 years? Oh my God, that's kind of like <laughs> big. <laughs> I kind of imagine, what do you teach? Well, it's um, I teach business English and intercultural communication, and um, it's it's kind of uh, I segued into it because um, I actually studied English literature and philosophy. Um, I got my bachelor's at Juniata College in Pennsylvania, and I was an exchange student in uh, Marburg, Phillips University, Marburg in Germany, and. Um, so that kind of shows you already that you could ask, why didn't she go to England? You know, if she studies English literature, why Germany? And um, it was this attraction to different cultural um, perspectives that drew me to go there, apart from, of course, my, my parents or my mother's background. But it's just um, looking at a discipline through another lens. 
So when I finished my bachelor's, I decided for want of anything better to do and not exactly sure you're, you know, with a, a degree in English, you're qualified for everything and nothing. So I decided to go back to Germany. And so I went into teaching English for very pragmatic reasons to pay my way while I study. I actually never wanted to become a teacher. So, um, but I did it for a pragmatic reasons. And I realized I really like this. This is fun. And that's how I got into it. And I just uh, kept on teaching primarily business English. And then the cultural aspect started to come in later um, as I um, gained more and more experience, went to other countries, was exposed to um, you know different walks of life. And uh, so I kept bringing that into my classes. Uh, so inevitably it, Store, it came together in a kind of natural synergy. Fascinating that you didn't want to teach and now you are in the profession of like more than 30 years and especially English. And, you know, as you mentioned that, like, you know, you need to go to England. I think English is a very universal language which connects, though the English, you know, we can have can have a different conversation regarding English and um, English people. But regarding English, you know, having a PhD in English and can take you to any part of the world um, if you decided to do certain things. Um, you know, there is a saying that like, unless you won't try it, you won't know it what you like. You know, sometimes like, you know, we see outside, like, you know, 30,000 feet view, but we literally not get into that. And so like, you know, my kind of story is also into teaching. Um, from childhood, I have a habit of to teach like you know my brothers and siblings and they always tell me that like you know my mother is a teacher so I kind of like inherited something kind of DNA which I didn't believe that like you know you had but they would be like you know you will be a good if you ever go through that and I was in the industry but again you know you fall into place if you kept on doing certain things um so like so you teach business communication do you teach uh, business communication to business professionals or like what is your uh, student population like what major they pursue well um, my students I, I teach at a university of applied sciences so there is a strong emphasis of applying the skill to practical situations and I teach at the business department of the School of Business. So I have a broad range of just regular business students, business law students, uh, applied uh, computer science. Um, so it's it's pretty broad range of students who need English. As you said, English is a global language. And so anyone going into any industry, basically in Germany, especially needs English for their jobs. Uh, but they don't just need English in terms of, or, or let's put it this way. My emphasis is not on teaching them Queens English. Uh, my emphasis is not on teaching them that every preposition has to be correct. Every usage has to be correct. My purpose is to enable them to communicate in uh, a way, it, both written and orally, 
so that the other people can speak or understand what they're saying. Uh, because, you know, when German students or any students these days go into the business world, they are going to be communicating with people who are not necessarily native speakers. And you don't need to leave your country for We have a diverse workforce here in the United States. You're going to be communicating with people who come from another cultural background. And uh, English is not necessarily their mother tongue. And for that, you have to develop certain skills uh, of intercultural understanding. And um, so I see that more as my job to sensitize students to using English for the purposes of, of being understood and understanding. You made a very couple of great points is that like you don't need to speak perfect English like native and a native speaker or Queen's English, as we say, it's like, you know, communicating. And throughout, like during your conversation, you also mentioned that you your student population is very much computer science, business and law students. And that's how like we started two years ago partnering uh, regarding our COIL collaboration, which is collaborative online uh, intercultural international learning. International yeah. Learning. Sorry, thank you for uh, correcting me. <laughs> no <that>. problem. Um, <laughs> it's always international, and and I always I always get them confused too. So no worries. <laughs> so uh, so th that was a collaboration between and which which brought us together as a partnership because I do um, teach cybersecurity and you do uh, business law and you know cultural competence of. Uh, students like who are going to be the future uh, employees and how to communicate with this and security and technology is plays a vital role which is a common trait between your major and my major or like you know our interest how do you see that falling into when you teach students and definitely like you know when you teach students how to communicate with other colleagues without having a barrier or understand like you know simple english according to you how do you, what's your perspective of, you know, security data, data security plays um, into this uh, arena of interdisciplinary nature of like, you know, English and especially applying uh, this into the real job market? Well, um, to answer that question, I'm afraid I have to go back a little bit to 2015, um, up until that point, I was teaching business communication on a fairly theoretical level. And I, I was not satisfied with that situation. I felt that students need to be able to, to be offered uh, or given an opportunity to um, practice what they're actually learning. Otherwise, it you know, falls to the wayside or they, they go back to things that they're used to or that, that they're comfortable with. So I was speaking to a colleague in the United States who teaches, also teaches business communication. And we sat down together and we thought about how we could put our classes together in a project where students would have to communicate using entirely digital communication channels and uh, work together on a project for a limited period of time. At that time, I had no idea that there was a name for this called COIL. Uh, it was just our, you know, brainstorming about what opportunities. So we, you know, we we started 
um, engaging our students in these global virtual team projects, uh, we expanded by encouraging them to use um, collaborative platforms like Slack or MS Teams, um, communicating through uh, Zoom uh, came and uh, or originally with Skype, then it became Zoom. And as we started, you know, did more and more of these projects, of course, the questions of how do you communicate, um, you know, at the level that, let's say, you know, a sensitivity towards political correctness. Uh, how do you address people? What do you do if there's a misunderstanding? Um, how do you ensure that people's personal data is protected using these collaborative platforms? So all of these other aspects, uh, you know, started to come into the larger picture. We had to familiarize ourselves uh, with the European Union data protection regulation. You know, um, students were asking questions like, how do I, you know, am I, can I share my email, you know, or can we uh, use like these, uh, you know, WhatsApp or when you're dealing with China, WeChat and, and other forms of, um, you know, texting uh, software and so on. Um, when they do presentations together, um, how are we going to ensure that they, you know, can can actually work together using software, using these uh, tools and also communicate in a way that there are, you know, fewer misunderstandings. Um, just to give you an example, uh, we had students that were from Northern Africa discussing with African-Americans about their use of the term African-American. So, you know, they these kinds of questions about what is or sensitizing the students to political correctness, terminology, um, you know, um, working on their preconceptions and their stereotypes that they have of each other. Um, you know, all of these aspects came into play, which made the projects especially interesting because here they were really engaging in situations that were simulated for future work. Because, you know, when now even more so uh, after 2020, you know, 2020, uh, with the uh, pandemic and more and more remote work, um, people are having to work together, collaborate across digital communication channels. They're having to deal with not being able to see someone physically in front of them, being able to um, navigate misunderstandings entirely through Zoom or, you know, not having the um, you know, the uh, nonverbal communication signals that you would normally have in, in a face-to-face uh, -face situation. So here we have really an opportunity to introduce our students to all of the problems associated with this kind of work, which they are going to later face in, in their, uh, you know, in their profession, working in, in companies. It's fascinating that you're talking about 2015 about a virtual exchange where like way before 
people or we think of like pandemic because pandemic forces us to go online. But at yeah. that point of time for our listeners, um, folks who do not know when we talk about like how can two professors from different countries and location can put their students into one class and combine projects and the projects can be culture, cultural, uh, can address questions like like how people call themselves, like terminology, as you mentioned, or how uh, people talk about the policies, especially data protection policies in Germany, in European Union, in Northern Africa, in Kenya, South Asia, like India, Pakistan, um, or in China and US, Canada, Argentina. So that's actually possible through like COIL. For our listeners who don't know what is COIL, COIL, again, I will repeat, Collaborative Online International Learning is also known as International Virtual Exchange. And it's a ped, um, pedagogical approach that fosters global exchange and understanding through online environment. It started at the uni uh, State University of uh, New York and now practice in hundreds of universities across the globe. And that is how we, uh, I and Stephanie met and we kind of working from last two years regarding on our courses and it can be anything. We'll do an, another podcast about only call and how did we partner, but for, for the listeners that, that this is one of the great advantage of COIL that professors and educators across the globe can do online partnership about interdisciplinary subjects, even common subjects, like you can you can combine computer science and information science, you can combine criminal justice with English, business communication with law, law with criminal justice, and learn about from each other and be productive for the better part of the society. So um, that's really fascinating. And, you know, when you kind of like you know it's it's kind of really great that like you are just way advanced like you know how do we solve this problem in a practical approach rather than theoretical english so once you started this work in 2015 um how did you grow um and what like you know if you would like to give an example like you know what are the specific issues you faced when you started um, well, we started, like I said, with just um, an American classroom and a German classroom. And uh, I think the issues that we faced at first was, first of all, the time zones. Uh, students were also um, somewhat um, hesitant, I could say. I mean, being, you know, was actually panic broke out on the part of my German students. Uh, oh my God, we've never done this before. What I have to speak to somebody I don't know. I have to work with them to do a, a, a you know, and get a grade on this project. Um, you know, they were uh, even the digital natives. Interestingly enough, were uncomfortable working together with people and especially native speakers uh, that they didn't know. So, you know, there were there was a lot of anxiety on the part of the students. Um, we had to do a lot of work in the, you know, preparing for this uh, for this project. So there was a lot. It was pretty intense uh, and we had to meet on a regular basis. So, you know, and our semesters are not always the same. So there there were a lot of hurdles. Uh, nevertheless, we were 
totally convinced that this was great for our students. And the feedback we got from our students was really, really good. They really appreciated it at the end of the day. So we started presenting our ideas at international conferences and gained the interest of a few other colleagues, one in Scotland and one in Portugal. So we started making it a four-way project where we put them in heterogeneous groups. Again, we had to, uh, we were dealing then across three different uh, time zones. And um, so it required a lot of preparation, a lot of convincing our students that this is, you know, they're going to enjoy this. Don't worry about it so much. There are going to be glitches. Um, we had to familiarize ourselves well with the platforms we were using, but we also showed our students that we made mistakes ourselves and what happened and how we dealt with it. So we did a lot of, um, you know, learning by doing. And uh, so it, it really worked out very well and we could, uh, you know, we just continue doing this. And as I move forward, I now do, in my classes, almost every single class I have, and I usually teach about five classes a semester, if not more, I do a COIL project with every single class and with different countries. I do it with Colombia, with India, with, um, you know, when I'm involved in, in different kinds of projects. And uh, I love it. And um, I think the students also, pick up on that, my enthusiasm. And, uh, and so they see it also as uh, something positive. So what I gather is definitely when something new, um, it, we always say like, we don't know whether we are going to make it or not. And it always comes from students. So what I gather from the discussion, you talked about language is one of the um, kind of difficult. I won't say that it's not achievable because again, English is spoken uh well time zone definitely like some universities have um uh, like you know semester and quarter basis like you know university of washington is quarter basis um and like and then time zone definitely like not everything is in time zone and then then there is a lot of preparation without preparation it's it's difficult to execute because you don't know the students like you know you are working with a different professor and different times on different people and culture understanding that a lot of negotiation is needed which is fascinating because when we talk about like you know technology uh, students and information security it's also there is an aspect you know there is technical and non-technical but there is people's aspect to it that when we talk about this policy and data protection how culture plays a vital role. For example, if I'm talking to German people, use of technology, internet, internet protection, privacy, and I'm talking to US, it, there is a huge, huge line between that because when we talk about GDPR, the practice of GDPR is very different than in the United States where privacy laws some, many times varies with state to state and the federal privacy laws are also like different. Um, like you know there is nothing like gdpr uh, which is which is everybody agree um, that gdpr is one of the strongest one um, if you are a part of like european union additionally uh, apart from that as well um, students like you know fascinating like it's a lot of work from your side as a professor five classes per semester i can imagine and 
one of the thing is that like students must gain like you know from your classes and projects like real life scenario negotiation um which is very very important for our students because it, at work in in the industry they will be negotiating a lot of like policies regulations and um even if they are in technical or non technical and development there is always negotiation starting from salary negotiation to um the policy or if they will end up been working for themselves like you know starting a company they had to negotiate with everybody state government federal government and um it's it's really fascinating my question to you is by working like you know so long uh, related to like you know coil projects whenever you do like you know projects on data policy or like you know kind of like you know data protection policy what is your response from students and what do they think um that like is it really important and what are the like perspective they gain from like you know working in in the different coil projects um it varies very strongly about you know um individual approaches to data protection um but also cultural differences i think that the europeans and the germans in particular are um uh, if you would use hofstede's theories of uncertainty avoidance and uh tightness um you know they they tend to be uh you know sticklers for uh, the the rules and the regulations. Now there are other country, other cultures that are even more so. But I think the the Germans sometimes have difficulty working with the Americans um, in that area. That they they see things a little bit more, um, you know, by the letter of the law. And the Americans tend to take a rather easy approach towards that topic. Again, though, it can depend on what their area or their background or discipline is. A, cy a cybersecurity major is going to be more aware about, uh, and and for example, uh, the uh, the Germans will often not want to use social media um, or, and they will not be as open about their personal private lives um, as the Americans will be. On the other hand, interestingly enough, in, in the U.S., if you're working for a company, many times they tell you you're not allowed to even have a Facebook account, uh, which in Germany would then be an imposition of your, your personal life by the company. So, you know, it's it's really hard. What I'm trying to say is it's really hard to generalize. And it's a topic that at the moment I'm I'm investigating more and more about is there a cultural relationship to how you know a, a country or a society is going to deal with that the topic of data protection and cybersecurity, and that's something i'm investigating in more as you know it's the thing that you and i are particularly interested in delving more into that uh whether you can really generalize on a cultural theoretical level how a country is going to approach data security, uh, cyber security, but it's still important. It's not just that uh, realm. We're working more and more together. We have to work together. If you look at the pandemic, if you look at um, global uh, you know, climate change, uh, there are so many aspects 
that require that we work together. And there's no one size fits all solution. And we have to train our students later on, those professionals that go into those areas to keep cultural aspects in mind when they're sitting down together to try to find solutions. Um, so I think it's, it's an extremely important aspect that's sometimes neglected, especially from the Western perspective, um, that we tend to um, undervalue, let's say, the importance of different cultural approaches and that perhaps other cultures have interesting solutions as well. It's it's fascinating you mentioned that and um, that we as it's difficult to generalize a data protection law or standard and policy based on um, like, you know, where do you draw the line and, you know, people's personal life and just like, you know, work life. And it's, it's difficult to generalization because we live in a democratic society. It's not one policy fits all, but still there is a law and there is also a ground rule. And, and it's always fascinating to say that, like who decides what to post, who decides what to say, like, like when we, when a person actually posts something on social media, maybe th their views and, you know, they are not allowed by companies and they're not allowed by certain countries like oh, and people are getting punished for, you know, having views. Or like, you know, platforms having, you know, community guidelines and restrictions. So who gets to decide like there is there is it's a very, very hot topic and, you know, discussion and also definitely the, the data protection law, like what type of data you are using, like, for example, um. Uh, in certain countries and the countries including where I'm from like or in the United States if you are in public you are allowed to take pictures you don't need permissions of others it's respectful to ask but you don't need it like that you are not obliged like they can take pictures so if you are in public it means it's public out there but if you go to certain countries uh, in a certain part of the world like in Middle East you cannot take pictures of people without their consent and though it's not be written law but it's a practice i always mention in my talk that like you know there are rules which are written there are rules which are practiced and there are certain silent rules there is nowhere it's mentioned but you just do it um so when we talk about like you know especially gdpr there are 99 articles and it, it's a huge huge practice and many times people, um, organization trying to be GDPR compliant rather than followed. So they use that we are doing everything we can to do. But it's it's a kind of a standardized when the law was written, people thought that it was difficult to achieve. But now it's kind of like, you know, achievable. And uh, we can discuss that. But the law like GDPR in the United States, um, it's it's people are saying it's difficult to achieve but still like there are different states have different privacy acts like ccpa california uh, privacy act i think it's cpa and then colorado privacy act so there are different regulation but according to industry point of view it may difficult because if each state has their own laws which is federally like you know everybody has freedom but like if if a federal government has a standardized data protection law, I think that that will be easier 
for people to follow, then every state will have their individual act. Uh, so again, it's 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 a very very interesting topic, and not a lot of work has done in this scenario because the culture we are coming from, um, when when we do analyze like student perspective, what what's your take like on that? Like, do do students who are pursuing these careers in data protection or like you know studying English and law? Like, what are the career opportunities, according to you, do you think that your students are going? Oh, they have a lot of opportunities today. Um, they often go into the big four, um, you know, KPMG, um, EY, and so on, located also in Germany, but global operating companies, auditing companies, and, and uh, tax companies. Um, and more and more are going into the area now of data protection and compliance. Um, and compliance is a really, really big field. And cybersecurity and risk management has now come and, and you know added to that as well. So business law students have um, really great opportunities, but in general also business students in Germany in going into those areas. Um, it's it's a hot topic at the moment. And I see more and more students. Um, I see them in LinkedIn, you know, oh, I'm doing an internship in compliance. I'm doing a, um, you know, I'm a working student at uh, this company in the area of cybersecurity risk management. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's a wide open field and a lot of opportunities for students. Yeah, I agree with you on that because like, you know, I teach technical subjects and the, those technical subjects also aspects of non-technical, which is, you know, where we we kind of like partnership together. Like when I talk about cybersecurity, cybersecurity people who are interested in technology, they can go to offensive security, engineering, uh, security engineering, and then, you know, coding, security analysis, hacking, offensive security. But also there is a non-technical point of view, which is equally important and very very vital and i it will be like an understatement to say it's non-technical but it's technical but it's much more people oriented for example risk assessment finding out where the risk is asking questions do the designing for example yeah. doing the compliance you mentioned auditing um and like you know communicating like making the C-level executive understand that, you know, this technical jargons like translating. So like yes. literally at yes. the end of the day, you are becoming a translator. And to make the um, our policymakers and um, political leaders to understand that why security is important and we have to take seriously um, right now, else there will be data breaches keep, keep on happening and awareness and... Um, the number of like job opportunities available and the number of uh, skill uh, skilled workers are not matching. Like there is a gap in the United States. There is a huge gap between cybersecurity job uh, opportunities available and the talents they are recruiting for. Right, and, in and, Europe as well. Yes, and then and there are. It's not only Germany. Like you know, there are many countries in the world and. Same as when we talk about offensive security, risk analysis, you know, like the physical crime aspects to it, it's kind of becoming the internet crime or cyber crime uh, understanding. And 
especially like, you know, the students who are pursuing uh, law with security knowledge and students who are pursuing like bachelor's in information technology at the University of Washington, Tacoma and uh, cybersecurity and a master's program as well. Like combining those aspects will literally have like, you know, create a skill set, which is a very, very unique. And there is a lot of opportunities and uh, it will be, um, you know, I can say that like, there is a saying that like there is zero unemployment rate, especially in this field we are talking about. Mm -hmm. They can do anything with their skill set, even if they're pursuing English and history. Um, well, so especially if if they add the excuse me for interrupting, but if they add the cultural element, because as far as I've been reading, it, that culture shows up or knowledge of different cultures shows up throughout the entire discipline. So whether it be um, finding out the source of the hacker, uh, you know, or the scammer, where are they coming from, or uh, teaching people how to be more vigilant, how you approach people to make it clear that it's an important aspect is going to be different from country to country, from region to region. Um, you know, the, the uh, different opinions about the importance of adhering to regulations and to, to the standard operating processes that, uh, or procedures in, in the company. So you're going to have different approaches in all of these aspects. You know, how do I see risk? Some cultures view risk a very, you know, uh, as very low on their priority or they or they don't see risk at all. Other cultures are are very, very aware of risk or how important risk is so, or preventing it. So, you know, you're, you're going to have culture as a strain going through all of these aspects, compliance, risk management, data protection, cybersecurity. And so that's the interdisciplinary um, aspect of it is uh, thinks what we would like to emphasize here and the importance of these COIL projects in order to sensitize students to that particular part of their discipline. Yes, definitely. Like one of the things is that like without culture, and you know culture is the product where our backgrounds are coming from and cultural practice plays a very very vital role like you know what information you are adding uh, social media how much you are disclosing yourself what you are putting um, on social media what are the regulations you are following cultural practice has a huge root of students what they pursue and um, we can't ignore that like you know certain group of people actually more private than certain other cultures like you know i can talk about like um you know Ger german culture and american culture is like how it is like even if it's not generalization but there is like a reputation we say like you know it, it's an open society you know how you um define the privacy definition in like you know saudi arabia in germany and in the united states and especially subcultures between um north and south like you know where you are like in san francisco and washington and without that it's difficult to understand that why security is important like you know security can be you know there is trust there is privacy and then there is security so how do we like you know make this security culture and privacy culture more enhanced it it comes from those social science roots like you know how 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 do you how do you see a problem and what is your take on that? 
and how do you use technology like you know sometimes some people like uh, you know not technologically heavily dependent they can stay away from their phone whatever whenever they want but if you ask like you know the generation who was born on in smartphone generation you always find themselves like and this is this is public like i i, I don't have to say any data but this is like you know always like on phone uh, or smartphone or like you know on laptop like you know very much and th- that's why exactly like you know knowledge um skill set or like taking classes listening to a webinar um if you want to more have a if you want to more grasp like or want to more learn like more in depth knowledge about a particular policy or language com- uh, cultural competence like you know you need to educate yourself and it's very very important based on the demands currently has so i would like to know um like you know you have been working so long on this particular projects and definitely students are really um interested in this and it, the um the, the the topic including the skill sets in demand what are the current projects are you working on uh, if you would like to share um at the moment um i'm working on a project together with a colleague at coastal carolina university um we put our students together in heterogeneous teams um working on a client based project um, that uh, involves the creation of an app um, for a large uh, software provider, which I, I am not permitted to mention the name. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that the students work together. Um, they do not need to be, uh, you know, uh, software uh, engineers. Uh, they work on a template and it's to solve an issue from the community, something that, uh, let's say, to make their campus more sustainable or to uh, link study buddies together or whatever the case may be. And that's a six to eight week project um, in which at the end they create a presentation of their app. They pitch the app together in a virtual presentation and um, these are judged by the jury of that pri- provider. So they're experts from that provider that are members of the jury that give feedback. And they get digital uh, badges and uh, certificates, so micro-credentials at the end of the project, which is also quite nice for them. They can post those badges to their LinkedIn. They can use that to show that they have uh, gained such skills working on a project like that. And uh, so that's just one of, of many different. Like I said, I'm also uh, researching and looking into um which is a project with you about the impact of, you know, culture and um, cybersecurity data protection. So that's another project. Um, What's also been very interesting is that these kinds of projects give me the opportunity to do research. Uh, We have been investigating whether these kinds of projects have helped students build resilience during the uh, COVID crisis, you know, pandemic, uh, where education was disrupted, 
um, and students were forced to go back home, um, did not have that kind of social contacts that they had at campus. And whether these projects, you know, increase their resilience, whether they increase their self-efficacy in working with computers and uh, collaborative tools. So we've been, uh, those are some of the things that we've been uh, investigating and done some research and done some publications on that area. How exciting. Um, I also like, you know, excited about different projects and apart from our collaboration. And I see a lot of opportunities and very much like the one of the th uh, fascinating things of about a new topic and new research topic is not a lot of work has not done in that particular field. Like if you talk about like, you know, like, you know, some kind of engineering subjects of like, you know, um, like, automotive uh, automation of like you know cars or something like you know building in a car it's already there but when we talk about like security protections and how to uh, develop a skill set where understanding of cultural competency um, will lead students to learn new technology with the application of um like, you know, having prototype and discussions and launch in the market and getting a micro credentials, including the um, the class grading. That's really, really fascinating. And uh, I would love to hear more regarding that. Um, and I'm also really excited about our work together and see where it goes and, you know, uh, whether you are going to talk about on a podcast or like, you know, end up being writing about it or like, you know, there are many options uh, regarding that. Um, to to conclude our today's um, talk, and again, it will be, I will be doing more in future uh, regarding like, you know, different subjects we talk because there are so many aspects of it that we kind of like, uh, kind of work together it's it's difficult to cover within like you know one episode um we'll have and it will be honor to have you again if you have time i know you're very very busy but any last thought you have um related to this topic or anything you'd like to share with our audience that if they wanted to gain a perspective of cultural competence in data protection and security what they should be doing um well, first of all, it would be my pleasure to go into in another podcast to go more into detail about these kinds of COIL projects for those people that would be interested. And um, I just can say that um, I would encourage people to think, out, you know, especially in, in you know, instructors, uh, professors, people in the area of education to think somewhat outside the box. Uh, we have... You know, COVID has was a major challenge for us, but it was also an opportunity. And we have gained so much in terms of extending beyond our borders, um, engaging with people digitally, collaborating together, um, bringing our expertise together, our students from different disciplines sharing in that expertise. You know, having yourself, for example, talk to my students about cybersecurity um, is an enormous enrichment. And I think if any any last words, I could just say that um, I can only encourage people to maybe, um, you know, take a risk, step outside the box, uh, try something new. Yes, it is more work, um, but it also is enormously enriching and uh 
and yeah, it's, it brings in new ideas and, and it would be a shame if we did not continue using those things that we've learned over the course of the last two years with the, with the pandemic, if we did not use, see that as an opportunity um, to, yeah, bring, maybe bring up our education system into the 21st century. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me, from my side. Thank you so much for having me and I uh, look forward to the next podcast. Thank you so much for saying that. And I also believe that um, as time change, our education system, the way, the techniques, the communication has been evolved tremendously. And I'm I'm a very optimistic by default, a very optimistic person. And I see that like, you know, thinking like, you know, outside the box, especially like if I talk about a decade ago, almost if, like 15 years ago, if I talk about, okay, can we talk about interdisciplinary nature? People will be like, um, crunch on like, no, computer science will be computer science. And then there will be no interdisciplinary. There will be no fragmentation of like, um, you know, um, techno ethics, or there will be like, you know, data protection. There will be no uh, cultural competence and focusing on like rationalization of theories, uh, like, you know, how people live into science into technology and that's what i always talk about like interdisciplinary without liberal arts and technology always get like you know not parallel but it's kind of a salad bowl and we yeah. are also growing as, as a professor like you know the uh, the topic we taught the way we taught 15 years ago it's not relevant today because it, it's a very much multi-generational uh, growth and we have to learn and we have to take um, steps uh, to uh, to meet the standards of the present demand also uh, having to see also that like what students also like you know can gain the perspective of like you know inter internationalization of any particular topic and subjects and because that's very very helpful like you know when we work together uh, we gain uh, a lot and especially in the security world. Thank you so much, um, Stephanie, for uh, coming and share your perspective. Um, again, we will talk about like for future uh, collaboration. Uh, stay tuned. Thank you, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoy this uh, talk and webinar or whatever you call like podcast. And uh, please do let me know how do you feel. Um, and uh, you know by subscribing and also by like you know listening um and uh, thank you so much thank you